Hear the word of God from the book of Genesis 1, 1 through 5, and 2, 4b through 9. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. In the day that the Lord God made the heaven, made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground, but a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every plant that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Friends, good morning. Good morning. That might be our problem right there. As we have gathered in this place, I invite you to gather together with me in a word of prayer. Oh, holy God. On this day, we ask that you would make us to be open. Open our ears that we may hear your voice speaking to us. Open our eyes that we may see you. Open our hearts that we may be drawn closer in love with you. And open our minds that we may know you more closely. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. For those of you that I have not had the pleasure of meeting yet, my name is Danny Bennett. I am one of the pastors here at Hyde Park. I am most often found in this service, the Magnolia service. And if you would like to stop and have any questions, I'll be in the back corner after service where our high top tables are. I'd love to have a chance to meet with you. Now, I love this text. I love this passage. And as I was going through this, Strangely enough, it reminded me of one of William Shakespeare's best plays. Romeo and Juliet is one of the greatest love stories ever told. William Shakespeare created a world in which two star-crossed lovers meet and face some of the greatest of odds. The two individuals, Romeo and Juliet, come from separate families that were in the midst of a vicious feud. Now the idea, and this is why uh, Romeo and Juliet sprung up in my mind, the idea of feuding and opposing sides is something that I am a bit familiar with. You see, my wife and I married into a feud that has been going on for years. Thankfully, it's not our families that are at war with one another. That would have made last week's baptism a little awkward. But society seems to suggest that our chosen professions should put us at odds. 
See, as I am a pastor, my wife is a chemistry teacher at Jefferson High School here in Tampa. Each year, she does not immediately share with her students what her husband does for a living. Now, it's not that she's ashamed of her husband. It's not that she's trying to hide what I do for a living. She just knows the questions that will follow. Wait, you're married to a pastor? How do you two get along? Aren't religion and science opposed to one another? They don't play nicely, do they? So don't you never, do you never see eye to eye on these things? And it's not just her students. Even some of her peers, her colleagues, her fellow teachers struggle to see how the two realms of science and religion can meet. It's not without reason, without reason that many people believe that there exists a dichotomy between science and faith. There are instances that could be pointed to in history where religion spurned the advances of science. The likes of Galileo and Copernicus are early examples. At the time when the two were alive, the earth was believed to be the center of all creation. This belief was supported by one reading of a particular part of scripture. Despite the prevailing belief, Copernicus and Galileo both held the same theory that the earth revolved around the sun. They published books on this idea. Now Copernicus saw no punishment because he died shortly after publishing his book. But Galileo, he was tried by the Inquisition after his book was published. Both of these books would be banned and Galileo would be branded a sinner and excommunicated by the church. And in more recent years, how many times have you heard the debate between evolution and creation rehashed? A debate where evolution is supported by the scientific community on the one hand and rejected by some, a few, loud voices in the Christian community who believe that creation happened by God's hand in exactly the way that it's reported in Genesis 1. You see, that's where many Christians, many in the Christian community, begin to run into trouble. Evolution can't be, some argue, because it's not biblically supported. My question to them is, okay, evolution is not biblically supported by which of the two creation stories? You see, there are two accounts of the creation of the world by God. The first starts in Genesis 1-1 and runs until... Chapter 2, verse 4. The second begins in the fourth verse of the second chapter of Genesis and runs to the end of that chapter. Now, according to the first, God creates the known universe in a seven-day span. Well, really about a six-day because he wanted to rest or needed to rest on the seventh. God's action begins on the first day with the creation of light and ends with the creation of people both male and female, created at the same time, after everything else is created. In the second account, beginning in two, chapter, or chapter 2, verse 4, man is created first, before all plants and living creatures, 
And finally, woman is created last. Some would tell you that's because God finally got it right. The order is completely different in the two stories. While these stories contrast and don't seem to speak to an accurate historical representation of creation, they do speak to a greater truth. The great words with which the Bible opens express faith in the foundation of all life. The universe and everything in it depend upon a divine conception and can be understood only in light of this divine plan. The creation stories occur as God speaks. God's word brings all things into existence. This is not some magic formulation or combination of words. God didn't stand over empty space and cry out abracadabra or avacadabra for Harry Potter fans before all things were created. God's word is the very expression of of God's will. The stories, therefore, Genesis 1 and 2, tell us a little bit about who God is and how God interacts with creation. They begin to answer the questions of who and why. Who created all things and why were they set in motion? The Bible seeks to answer these specific questions. And if we make or try to make the Bible answer questions that it doesn't have an answer to, it leads to lunacy. Lunacy like a museum in Ohio. This museum attempts to accurately depict what life looked like in biblical times, specifically in the account of Genesis. Now, has anybody heard of this particular museum in Ohio? see a couple heads nodding. If you ever go to this museum, you will see Adam and Eve in the garden with with dinosaurs. Dinosaurs roaming around, T-Rex chilling out with Adam and Eve in the garden. You see, it's trying to answer a question that the Bible does not have an answer to. Scripture does not seek to answer the question of how everything was made. It seeks to answer the questions of who and why. The role of science is to discern the how. It is a search for empirical truth. The word science comes from a Latin word meaning knowledge. Science is knowledge attained through study or practice, covering general truths of the operation of the general laws, particularly as obtained and tested through the scientific method. Science refers to a system of acquiring knowledge, using observation and experimentation to describe and explain naturally occurring phenomena. A few have even suggested that the goal of science is to tear the mask off of nature, And stare at the face of God. There are others who suggest that science and religion need not compete with one another. Because they offer a focus on different realms. Science deals with the tangible. The real. The physical. While religion deals with the intangible. The spiritual. 
The statement does hold some truth. The stories of creation ask the question, does the universe have meaning? And scripture is sure that it does, knowing that its meaning is a heavenly one. For when you look at either of the creation accounts and try to approach it scientifically, the stories don't hold up to empirical fact. The prime example finds itself on the first and fourth days of the first creation account. On the first day, God creates light. But the sun, the moon, and the stars aren't created until the fourth day. So where does the light come from? Scientifically, it doesn't hold water. But that's because Scripture is asking a different question. Because they're asking different questions, they need not be on competing realms. It would be easy to brush off this divide between science and religion than to effectively say to ourselves, since religion and science aren't on competing terms, can't we just leave them to their own devices? Pope John Paul II responded to this idea when he wrote, Faith and reason." are like two wings on which the human spirit rises to the contemplation of truth. Faith and reason, religion and science are not competing theories. They are not at war with one another. And for the contemplation of truth, they surely cannot be separated from each other. Science hunts for data and facts. It wants to know how Things tick. When I was younger, I took apart everything that I could get my hands on. Fans, lamps, even a blender. None of them were plugged in at the time. All were taken apart at my hands. I wanted to know how it worked. What made it tick? What made it function? Science seeks to answer and pushes, seeks to answer Similar questions. And it pushes the borders of the known world in ways to broaden our knowledge. Without interest in science, where would we be? We might still be groping in the dark using archaic methods to treat our illnesses. We might fear the deep instead of seeking to unlock its mysteries. We might never have sought the stars. But science without religion, offers little more than bleak data. Facts alone cannot give hope. There is evil and brokenness in the world, and mere data cannot overlook or explain that fact. Against a bleak and somber fatalism that comes from the brokenness of humanity, there needs to be a continual turn to the life-giving reassurance of the faith Found in Genesis. The universe did not come into existence by chance. It was the purposeful creation of the one who is the fount of all life. The universe is made to fit together and to have meaning. Science and religion inform each other. Religion gives meaning to the data science collects, it allows it to be understood in a larger picture. 
What's more, the, compa- the capacity to think is part of the gift of creation. And all God's wisdom, he graced us with this wonderful gift, the intellect that we carry, the capacity to think and to reason that we have. We ought to use our intellect to honor the creator, the one who gave us this gift. Carl Sagan wrote, A religion, old or new, that stressed the magnificence of the universe as revealed by modern science might be able to draw forth reserves of reverence and awe hardly tapped by conventional faiths. Sooner or later, such a religion will emerge. This church, this denomination, this congregation is one place that seeks to unravel greater and greater awe, greater reserves of reverence by tapping in to what is revealed by modern science. There is danger, however, when we take science on its own. The extent to which we apply reason and intellect is what can lead us down darker and darker paths. Nuclear warfare and biological weapons fall within the realm of science and reason. Robert Oppenheimer, the director of the Manhattan Project, on a successful testing of an atomic bomb, was reminded of a line from Hindu scripture. Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Science left unchecked can lead us down dark and dangerous paths. But when guided by the morals and the ethics and the love of the church, it can lead in positive directions, giving amazing advances in areas such as medicine or in the caring for creation. Science and religion are complementary. Our role as Christians in the conversation is to be a voice of guidance, not a voice of opposition. We help to hold the questions of who and why, while the question of how is also being asked. The good news is that science and religion work hand in hand. As things have been all as all things have been created by God, all things can speak to the love of God. The natural world was created by God. Its study can help illuminate the nature of its creator. All creation is such that a person may look at it, study it rejoicingly, and believe that it is framed in such a way to help them live and grow. Let us be open in our lives to the grace of God that is revealed in so many different ways, not least of which is through science and through reason. Let us be open to reason. Amen. Friends, let us pray. God of everlasting grace and mercy, holy and eternal one, today we give you thanks that you have given us the great gift of intellect. We pray that in our lives, in our 
raising and our living and in our walking, we would be open to using that great gift, open to using the intellect that you have graced us with. Guide us and lead us in the way that you would have us to go. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.